You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church or want to know how to get involved, visit kingscross.org. We pray that as you listen, you experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Some of you already know, may know my friend Matt Reagan, uh, but for those who don't, I want to tell you a little about him. Matt was born and raised in Charleston and gave his life to Jesus at 13 years old. He then graduated from Wando High and then Furman University. He then, after that, went on staff with Campus Outreach Minneapolis. He's partnering with many of you uh, have heard of John Piper and Bethlehem Baptist. So he was in partnership with him and an elder of that church. And while there, Matt met and married Lisa in 2006. And you see that this led to four beautiful children that you see up on the screen. And then eventually a move back to Charleston in 2015 to become regional director of Campus Outreach Charleston, overseeing ministries at the Citadel, CFC, CSU, and Coastal Carolina. So, to get to know Matt, there's three important things that you should know about Matt Reagan. One, he is a committed Georgia Bulldog fan, which I know is respected by many here this morning. He also discipled the greatest American soccer player, perhaps of all time, Clint Dempsey. So, if you're a soccer fan, you may know, heard of him. And so, Matt was instrumental in uh, his spiritual development. And last but not least, Matt Reagan is the fourth cousin to the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. Matt is also passionate about seeing students come to faith and be sent to the nations, seeing the cross make people from different cultures into family, and then seeing the fatherless understand the adoptive love of the father. So I'm going to do something uh, that we did last week. I'd like for us to pray for Matt and pray for ourselves. So what I'm going to do is just where you are in your seats, just silently. I'm going to pause twice for each of us to pray silently. So first, please pray silently for Matt as he prepares to deliver God's word. And now take a moment and silently pray for yourself, your heart and your mind as you prepare to receive God's word. Amen. Now, if you would, welcome Matt Reagan. There we go. Thank you guys for your prayers. I'm glad to be here. Um, Honored, in fact. I've known Chip for a little while. I'm really thankful for and inspired by his ministry. I've known Josh for a long time and his family. Uh, And Josh has been a consistent source of, I think, uh, vision and inspiration for me. He's a pure-hearted man, uh, really intentional. He and Christy live their lives on purpose, uh, and I'm just I'm honored to be in the church that you pastor at. I'm thankful to the Lord for being, this opportunity. I want you to know that uh, if it helps you understand how close I am to Ronald Reagan or my family is, it's legal to marry your fourth cousin. So it's like <laughs> it's not a big deal, uh, but I, I am 
a committed George Bulldogs fan. Go dogs. Please, it's college football. So if you are somehow tempted to like stiff arm me already, don't do that. It's college football. Okay. That's, we'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, I, as Josh said, I was at uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota for about 11 years. Uh, and during that time, I sat under the preaching week in and week out of John Piper. If you're not familiar with John Piper, he's just one of the more, I think, gifted, spiritually gifted expositors of the word, inspirers of people, kind of poetic, philosophical, clear-minded man, helpful to listen to. And there were some weeks when I would walk in, and unbeknownst to me, just as maybe it's unbeknownst to you today, he was not in the pulpit. And I'd be like, oh, man, I got to listen to, you know, fill in the blank guy. So it may be that today you're like, it's not, Chip. God. And you're tempted to just walk out right now. Maybe Josh said he preaches eight times a year. Maybe that's how you'll feel when Josh preaches. But the, uh, I, I do... I think it's helpful. There's a lot of reasons that plurality in the pulpit is helpful. One of them is just different angles that you hear uh, from God to you through the person speaking. But another is just to remember that the people who speak are jars of clay. It says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we carry this treasure, which is the gospel, in jars of clay, that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so it can be a check on your heart to see if maybe you're dependent more on the gifting of the speaker than on God's word through his spirit to you. Uh, so I believe that God has a word for you this morning from me, and it may not be stylistically exactly what you're used to, but uh, maybe this is just an exhortation for you to stick in. Uh, for the rest of the time, even though I'm not Chip. And I'm sure Chip's an unbelievable preacher, but uh, I was reading through his notes. I haven't seen the video, but I was reading through his notes last week. It seemed like a really helpful sermon. Uh, but I, 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 uh, I, just, I would exhort you to that end. Uh, I want to give you, speaking of Chip's sermon last week, a reminder that uh, of all the things that he said, getting, getting you into uh, the habits, spiritual habits, it's New Year Old Habits, it's on the back, okay, on the screen. New Year Old Habits, that's the, the series right now. Uh, one of the principles that he gave last week was that spiritual disciplines are means, not ends. He gave worship as an exception because it's a means and an end, but every other discipline we're going to talk about, including the one that I'm going to talk about today, is a means to an end rather than the end itself. And I want to tell you why that's really important, even if he told you last week, I'm going to tell you again, Okay. Uh, there's a guy named Jerry Bridges. He, was a, he recently passed away in the last several years or so. He was a, an old navigator's guy, lived in, the, in a freshman dorm until he was like 80 years old. And he wrote a handful of books that were really important to us in the campus outreach world, in, our, in the college ministry world as we were coming up through college. One of them was called The Practice of Godliness, and one of them was called The Pursuit of Holiness. And both of them were, had to do with the, the spiritual habits, these disciplines, these means of grace, uh, and then he wrote a book to follow that was called The Discipline of Grace. Uh, and he wrote it, I think, as his own self-corrective a little bit. And, and the point of the book was basically to say, he says this right at the beginning, he says, what we need to do is avoid the good day, bad day mindset. Okay? And the idea of the good day, bad day mindset would be, on the one hand, let's say you wake up with your alarm, you hop out of bed, you immediately acknowledge the Lord, you get on your knees in prayer, you open the scriptures, you have just a bang up quiet time. You've got three applications for your day. Maybe you have a scripture memory card. Maybe you fast through lunch and remember Jesus, right? You make it all the way through your day. You lay on your pillow remembering God. You take whatever time you need. Maybe you get on your knees and you pray your adoration, supplication, or adoration, what are we? A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, 
right? If you don't know what I just said, don't worry about it. It's just a structure for prayer. And you get to the end of the day and you lay on your pillow and you think, today was a good day. I knocked out my disciplines. Check, 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 check. What a day. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Next day, you wake up in a panic because you overslept your alarm. Your hair's everywhere. You don't get a chance to brush your teeth. You roll out of bed. You get to work. All the voices of the day are already coming at you like wild animals, C.S. Lewis says. You haven't taken the time to hear the Lord's voice. You haven't been in the scriptures. You eat like a pig all day. And you get to the end of the day, and you, have, you barely remember Jesus, if at all. You didn't take advantage of an opportunity to share your faith. You didn't remember the scriptures. You lay in bed. You say, oh, today was a bad day. It was a bad day. That's the mindset that he's trying to help you avoid because of this. Um, at the end of the day, the whole point, when I say at the end of the day, I just said at the end of the day, figuratively at the end of the day, uh, the whole point of any discipline, including meditation, that's what we're going to talk about today, meditation. Every discipline is to get you to a place where you feel, understand, and act out the wonder of the love of God in Christ for you. That's the point. And so when you lay down in your day, whether it's been, and it, it, you know, this is the way I used to think of it, is when I was in high school, we had these little green laminated accountability cards with all the questions, and one of them was, did you go seven for seven this week on, like, Bible study? One of them was, on any of the previous questions, have you just lied? Because um, <laughs> they'd catch you, you know. But... Uh, the, the point was, I, I think I just remember I would want to go to that group and be like, I think I can answer all these questions well, and therefore it's been a good week because I got stuck on the means and didn't get to the end, which is the whole point of reading your Bible, of praying, of all of, of meditation, of fasting, is to taste more of how much the God who made the universe loves you. That's the point. We understand that? And so if we, if, especially, and this is not a value distinction. In fact, there are a lot of, I'm not, a, I'm a type B person. If you're a type A person and you're big on the checklist, just know your temptation is to consider your life well done because you check off the goals on your list and you forget to make it to the end. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, you search the scriptures. He says this to the Jewish teachers, the religious people. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you can find eternal life. It's these that testify about me, but you don't want to come to me that you can find eternal life. Because as soon as you come to me, it's not about your glory anymore. You come to me because you're helpless. But as long as I can accomplish my disciplines, I still have, a, I have some earning power here. I have some performance. And so I just want to remind you that every day, and this is the beauty of it, okay? Every day when you go to sleep, I, whether you are the most disciplined person or the least disciplined person, if you are indeed in Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, if he is your boast, even half-heartedly your boast, right? We all know we're, we're, we say to the Lord, we believe, help, help our unbelief. You lay in bed and you say, was it a good day? You say, you better believe it was a good day. It was the best day. Today, I was covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, I am destined for eternity with him. Today, to die is gain. Today, right? Today, he forgave all of my sins, like every single one. Today. So if someone says, how are you doing? I say, well, ultimately, I'm a 10. Because he says, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even those half-hearted things that we do poorly, those things that I intend for evil, he intends for good. Today. 
So I just want to remind you of that. It is really good news at the end if we don't get stuck at the means and, and start looking inward, looking at our own navel. So I'm going to pray to that end, and then we're going to get into our outline this morning. Okay? Father God, we want to acknowledge that you, uh, who just are, who made the galaxies, that you have set your affections on us, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that you sent your Son uh, as a substitute for us, that in all the ways that we have failed, he succeeded, that he died a substitutionary death for us, that he has taken all of our sins, that you, Lord, have now removed them as far as the east is from the west for everyone in this room who is in Christ, that he has risen from the dead and has gone to prepare a place for, for us when we will see him and become just like him because we will see him just as he is. Um, and I just ask that today, it's, it's just so easy to get stuck in how well am I doing and forget the end. So I pray that you would help me and all of us in here to make it all the way to the end. Uh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you like outlines ahead of time, we're going to do three big questions. We're going to do two uh, big picture applications and a few very practical applications. The reality of a sermon like this on spiritual habits is the whole sermon is an application. We're talking about application. We're talking about a spiritual habit, but I want to get into some of the whys behind it and then move into more practical. What does it look like to be a meditator uh, in the right way? So three questions. Question number one, what is meditation? What is meditation? It, it's likely that some of your minds immediately gravitate toward like you know, Rafiki from The Lion King and the, the whole deal. Um, the mind emptying, whether it's Hindu or Buddhist, kind of yoga, centering of yourself, blocking out everything else. Um, that's not what we have in mind. I think most people in the room understand biblical meditation to be something else. I just want to show you the picture of what I mean, like our connotation for this morning, what I mean by meditation. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 and following, and then I'll check in on Mark for a second. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, this is just before his crucifixion, uh, right when he is going to pray uh, to the Father, and he's, you know, the sweating drops of blood prayer, one of the most agonizing moments in created history. In verse 40, it says, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot, be, cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And this is the picture. This is, the, this is our definition. Uh, my definition today for you of meditation is simply the practice of staying spiritually awake. The practice of staying spiritually awake, particularly through reminding ourselves of the truth. There are certainly some truths that are more important than others. As I've said, reminding ourselves of the truth that the God of this universe sent his son to live and die on our behalf is the most important truth. But there are all sorts of surrounding truths in God's reality. And what I'm saying it means to be a meditator as a habit of grace, as a habit towards this end, is thinking on and staying awake to spiritual reality. 
if, if you're like, well, that was about them being tired, I just want to show you that this is a, an overarching theme. You see it in 1 Thessalonians 5. Here in Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, talking about his coming, verse, Mark 13, 35 to 37. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And that's the idea. I, I, I am part of a college ministry called Campus Outreach, as Josh said, and I teach often at the Citadel. Uh, if you know anything about the Citadel, uh, knobs, who are the first years, they don't sleep. Uh, like most of the time. And so their whole priority is to sleep whenever they can. So what they do to try and stay awake is they, they have this drink called Bang. Have you guys ever heard of Bang before? It's 300 milligrams of caffeine per can. And they just chug these things. Like they'll eat, drink two and three. If I had like a sip of Bang, I'd be here. Like straight away. I can't, I, I literally, last time I, I caffeinated like that, I dry heaved for two hours. Um, can't do it. I can, I can barely take NyQuil, you know. So um, I, I, I can't do it. And, but when I'm teaching at the Citadel, it's not usually very encouraging uh, because I start talking. And I'm like, oh, this, this could be interesting. And this is the look. <laughs> and honestly, I'm being gracious. They usually don't even fight. Okay, they're just out. Like, I'll walk in there and a couple kids will be asleep before I start talking. I'm like, this is not helpful for my overall morale. But that's the idea here. That's what Jesus sees in the garden, right? As he comes back and their eyes are heavy and they're sleeping again, he says, could you stay awake for one hour? For one hour? It's really convicting to me. And I don't even mean it should be convicting to you in this service. It might be. But I, I mean the idea of being awake to spiritual reality for one hour. For one hour before we're immediately distracted and brought to other thoughts that stray from God's reality. And I want you to know, even as I say, even as Jesus says, could you not stay awake for one hour? That I'm not just shaking you by the shoulders and be like, stay awake, okay, stay awake. Like, I, I don't mean it as a, a, a law to be heard. I mean it as an invitation. Like a, a life awake. C.S. Lewis says there is no substitute for a mind awake. The idea that you could be awake and alive to these things. There's a... Um, a movie came out in 1990 called Joe Versus the Volcano. Show of hands, anybody? Uh, Joe Versus the Volcano? Okay. A few people, a few old people. Uh, the, uh, I've seen it. Um, it is the first foray, first collaboration between Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Okay? 1990, Joe Versus the Volcano. Not their best offering. But there's some good things about it. And there's a, I think it's an insightful movie. And there's a scene where he's talking about life purpose. And she says to him, uh, My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake, and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. Now, that might be an overstatement. It's definitely not comprehensive enough for what it is to be spiritually awake, because there are some elements of being spiritually awake that are really painful. Like to be awake to the reality of your own sin to be awake to the reality of the brokenness of the world, to think about generational sin, to think just for a moment about the reality of judgment and hell. All of those things are painful, but there is no substitute for a mind that's awake just to be sober, like to understand that, the, that this is the real world. Like I'm not, I'm not just looking for a way to, to numb myself for a minute, but this is the real world. 
right? Like all the sobriety, the wonder, the meaning, the peace to be awake and say, okay, I can lay hold of promises and I can lay hold of reality, like all the reality, I can just take it. And the beauty of the gospel is that because it undergirds your life, you can actually take it all without being crushed. But we're so inclined to not try to take it because of our distractibility or just the fact that we kind of want to go numb because it's just too much, so we don't do it. So I personally am uh, a teetotaler. I don't know if you know that word. It's an old-timey word that just means I don't drink alcohol. This is not at all an attempt to impose that conviction on any person in the room. I think that moves beyond the Bible. Um, I have reasons. If you, get, you can ask me after if you want why I'm a teetotaler. But one of the reasons is because I love to be awake. I love to, to drink in the fullness of reality as much as I can. I want to see what I can see and feel what I can feel because I think that's what we're made for. But I know the truth in my heart is Jesus will come to me and say, you couldn't stay awake for one hour. Your eyes heavy again. You couldn't stay awake for one hour. And so the first question, what is meditation? What I mean is, it's just the discipline to remain spiritually awake. Like any other discipline, it is a challenge. It requires effort. And eventually you start with a lot of structure and it becomes more natural. And your mind, that supercomputer that is your mind, it starts to, to slot into place a little bit more. I am learning as I go. I feel like the Lord has given me some help through his spirit to become more of a, a natural meditator. And then uh, sometimes I'm like, good grief. How long did I go forgetting him altogether? That's number one. What is meditation? Number two, why would we talk about meditation now? This, this feels out of order. Like, why would we not do Bible now or prayer now? Why meditation uh, two reasons. One is because this is the week that I get to preach, and this is what I want to talk about. Uh, two is I really think it's, it's drastically important. This is the lost discipline, like the glue discipline, in my opinion. And it, obviously, I believe that Bible intake is drastically important. I would argue that meditation is inherently Bible intake, just in a more organic, personal, constant way. Uh, but if you ask me why I thought that most... And this is a heavy word in what I'm about to say. I think there are disclaimers throughout. But most of our anxiety, most of our depression, moodiness, anger exists. It's because we're poor meditators. I don't think it's first, though there is a connection. I don't think it's first because you're not having your quiet time in the morning. You should have your quiet time in the morning, whatever you call that thing. You should open your Bible. You should have structured time to open your Bible. You should definitely take time to pray. Jesus says in John 16, verse 24, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive and your joy may be made full. Ask. But what I'm saying is if you ask me to pinpoint the thing that I think is the most responsible for our litany of, as Jesus says, giving into temptation... Watch and pray so you may not enter into temptation. I think it's that we're poor meditators. Okay? I think it's that we're not thinking well on the truths of God consistently. Another way to say this, I'm going to give you two C's right here. Another way to say this would be that we compartmentalize very easily. We have, a, we have a staccato spiritual life, a compartmentalized spiritual life. So it may be that you're a really disciplined person in this room in terms of getting your seven for seven, but what happens is our, our patterns of Bible intake really lead to intermittent waking, which means that while I'm studying the Bible, I'm like, man, this is good. Maybe right now you feel really spiritually awake. You're at church. But four minutes after you walk out of here, 
is gone. Maybe you have your quiet time before work every day. Maybe you read the Bible. Maybe you get your prayers in. Maybe you have your specific prayers. Maybe you have a prayer plan. But then for eight hours. And I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know any individual's mind in this room. But I can all but guarantee you this is a common reality. For eight hours, we forgot that God existed. Functional atheists for eight hours. Maybe 12. That's what it is. And maybe you lay back on your pillow and say, what a good day. I have my quiet time this morning. But because we are compartmentalized, and this is the second C, we are conformers. Romans 12, verse 2 is a really common verse that we know has to do with meditation in some sense. It says, do not conform to the pattern of the world or be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I would contend that the human brain is always working. I think there's a way that we think, yep, I have my quiet time, and then I just kind of, if, if I'm not thinking about it, at least I'm just in neutral. Like my screensaver turns on, I'm in neutral. But the human, if I'm going to call it a, a supercomputer, is always, always working. It is always feeding itself thoughts. It is always observing. It is computations constantly. So the idea of an empty mind doesn't, doesn't work. Jerry Seinfeld had a bit 20-some years ago. I used to love this bit, even though it's not true. He said, the women in the room, they're asking, they're always asking, what's that guy thinking? I want to know, I want to know what you're thinking, men. And he goes, I'll tell you what we're thinking. Nothing. We're just walking around, looking around. That's what he said. And I thought, that's funny. It's just not true. Even, even the most empty-brained man in this room, okay, your brain is a supercomputer. And it is computing, it is taking in, it is observing, it is defaulting. And if we are not consistently and consciously meditating on the truths of reality, then we are inevitably conforming. It is not that we would either be thinking and meditating on God or in neutral. It is that we are either thinking and meditating on God and his truth or we are thinking and meditating on ourselves and the lives of the world. You're either God-centered or you're self-centered. That's how this thing works. And so the idea that you would be simply in neutral doesn't make sense. Uh, I'll give you another analogy because it's fun. Um, even when you go to sleep, I, I, I don't know if you remember your dreams. I remember a lot of my dreams, okay? I, I have weird dreams. And I just want to, by way of illustration, my mother-in-law, she's from Minnesota. She, she's lived about 40-some years in Minnesota, and before that she lived in uh, Alpena, Michigan, up almost to Mackinac Island in the UP, for those who are familiar. So she's from up there. She, enough that she pronounces my name with two syllables. My name is not Matt, it's Matt. Um, oh, hi, Matt, like that. And one day she got in the car, and she said, um, I had the strangest dream last night. I dreamed that we went to the grocery store, but it was not our house when we came home. It was our old house. Isn't that weird? And I said, Barb, let me tell you what I dream. Uh, her name's Barb, which is a great upper Midwestern mother-in-law named Barb. And, and I said, let me tell you what I dreamed. I said, I dreamed that I was in a Roman Colosseum in the first century, uh, extremely steep, hundreds of thousands of people in the Colosseum, and the centurions were coming around asking, demanding that anyone who was a Christian confess. And I knew that there was danger there, but I felt in my conscience that I needed to confess that I was a Christian, and so I did. I said, I am a Christian. 
And so they brought me down to the floor of the Colosseum. They put a hook in my back and put me on a cross. And I willfully pulled myself down from the cross and then wept with guilt because I was not able to carry the sins of the world on that cross. And she goes, oh, uh, I, I guess my dream wasn't that weird then. Um, yeah, so I, I have weird dreams, but here's the, here's the point. Uh, last night, I, or two nights ago, I dreamed that I was with the, the Weasley twins in a hot air balloon and like trying not to fall out. Not a commentary on Harry Potter, just, yeah, whatever, whatever goes on from Chip and Harry Potter in here, I don't know. I'm just saying, I have weird dreams. The point is, my brain is working while I'm sleeping. My brain is working while I'm sleeping. Your brain is working all of the time. And so there's not, there's not this idea that you're just moving in the neutral. You're either conforming to the pattern of the world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might test and approve what God's will is. That's why meditation now. Third question. When are we called to meditate? When are we called to meditate? How often? I think I've kind of tipped my hand here, but I want to show you from the scriptures. <laughs> First, that we are called to meditate in the morning. Psalm 143, verse 8, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. It sounds so good. Yes, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Psalm 119, verses 147 and 48, lest you think that I am not taking into account the word meditate. Here you go. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. So before dawn, I'm waking up to meditate on your promise. So we are clearly called to meditate in the morning. Night, Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Meditating in the watches of the night. Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder or meditate in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Themes throughout the Psalms of meditation morning and night. So you might say, yeah, I think I could maybe do that. I think I could wake up maybe even early and do some meditation. I think I could meditate right before bed. But here's the kicker is the all-day verses. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 1, verse 2, talking about how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It says, on his law, he meditates day and night. So now we're not just talking about morning. We're not just talking about right before bed. We're saying all day. And maybe your response is, all day? I want to watch football today. The NFL playoffs are today. You're telling me I need to meditate all day? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, which are the most menial tasks, the most survival-based tasks, do it all to the glory of God. So I assume football watching is in that category. Right? I don't believe that God begrudges our football watching, at least not in a vacuum, maybe there are times when you shouldn't be watching a football, football or, or I, and I am, and there's something better to do or more constructive to do, but I'm saying, in general, I don't think God begrudges our pleasures in that way. However, he does say, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, including watching football. So somebody tell me, who's your favorite NFL team? 
I can't take the Patriots. They had a rough go. Uh, they have a new coach. Um, we'll do the Steelers. Steelers travel. I, I heard Steelers first hour. I'll take Steelers second hour because even though you're not from Pittsburgh, Steelers fans are everywhere. Um, the Steelers were supposed to play today. They're now playing tomorrow uh, because there are like 40 mile an hour winds and blo blowing snow. I, I would have liked to see that. Steelers are, by the way, not at all favored to win. Uh, but I like the Steelers. I hope they win. Uh, George Pickens plays for the Steelers. He played for Georgia. So uh, let's say that the Steelers are playing the Bills. Let's say tomorrow. We'll, we'll, for the sake of, of our analogy, we'll say after church. We'll say they're still playing today. Okay, the Steelers and the Bills are playing. What are meditative thoughts? Staying awake to spiritual reality thoughts that can happen while you're watching football. That's the question. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few. Okay? One, while I'm watching football, enjoying it, Okay, I should probably remember that there is a God who creatively invented people and things that are enjoyable like football. All right, There's an art of the human form on display, spatial awareness and the whole thing. It's beautiful. Okay, I should probably remember that while I'm watching. There are a lot of times during football games, I probably need this from my own heart, but I'll watch and I'll go, okay, these are grown men. They're taking a ball made out of a pigskin and moving it across these painted lines from one end to the other, and all of America is going nuts about it, okay? It's football. It's a game, right? Like somebody made up the game the same way James Naismith made up uh, basketball by putting a ball in a peach basket. It's helpful for me to slot that into perspective and say, these players that are playing right now, they're going to play this, their career. My favorite guy, right? He's got like George Pickens, my favorite player on the Steelers, even though he's a bit of a diva. George, George Pickens, like my favorite guy. He might tear his ACL tomorrow and be done. He might play for 10 more years. But that guy, this is another spiritual reality thought, that guy lives forever. It is appointed for George Pickens once to die and then comes judgment. And all the people on that field, okay? And it definitely helps me beyond that to remember that when my favorite team loses, when Georgia loses to Alabama on a painful non-review plus a fumble on her own 15-yard line, that, and they don't make the playoff, that... My identity is not remotely in whether Georgia wins or loses a football game, and my week will not be dictated by that. The Steelers cannot carry my mood because I am destined for eternity with Christ. Right? But that's a meditative reality. Like, it takes a fight to consider those realities while you're watching football. So I'm not telling you not to watch football today or tomorrow. I'm saying be a meditator on God, and it will go well with you. It will be better in that way. So that's football. I know it's flippant. There are other things that are less flippant. Uh, like the other day, I came home from a men's retreat, like a men's training that we did with campus outreach staff, and I didn't take the time to prep my heart and prep my mind and ask God for help. And I walked in the room, and I found out pretty quickly that one of my children, whose, whose gender and name will remain anonymous, was having a hard time in school and got some rough grades because they weren't trying hard enough. And, man, I just spiraled. I spiraled right away. I'm like, oh, they're going to be homeless. You know, they're in elementary school. You know, I'm like, it's like, oh, their, their life is a wreck. Here come the addictions. You know, like I'm thinking all these things. And, and I had to come back. I actually had to come back to my wife and my daughter and apologize and say, hey, I want you to know that the thoughts that I've been having, the mood that I'm in, that is not in line with the truth of the gospel. I didn't remember that my name was written in heaven. I didn't consider the big picture of my son. I didn't consider the sovereignty of God in his life. 
I just got all panicky because he got a few bad grades. Oh, I just I messed it up. Uh, yeah, it was my son. So anyway, I love him. He's in fifth grade. And so, but the whole point is, I, if, to, to have been vigilantly aware and consistently meditating on that would have changed my interactions with my wife and my daughter and my own heart before the Lord. And so there is a way to meditate all day. So we're going we're gonna to move into application. This will be the, the, the wind down of the sermon here, okay? Two means of staying awake for longer increments. Two means of staying awake for longer increments. Like how do we meditate better? Acknowledging all of us are we're staccato. We're awake for a bit, we're asleep for a bit. We're awake for a bit, we're asleep for a bit. And just asking how do we stay awake for a little longer increments? Like how do you wake back up right now to listen? Um, two, two forms. One I just call premeditated meditation. Premeditated meditation. Okay, this is your classic, probably classic understanding of the discipline of meditation in the sense that it's what scripture memory is. You take one verse, maybe one phrase, and you say, I am going to take that and I am going to ruminate on it like a cow chewing the cud all day. I'm going to chew, chew, chew. It's going to flavor my day. Psalm 39, verse 4. Love this verse. It says to the Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Just one. It's one framework for the day. There are a thousand truths at one time, but one of them is I'm fleeting. And I need to know that I'm fleeting, that I'm a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away so that I can remember that death is gain, that I'll see Jesus on the other side. It might be next, in the next 10 minutes. It might be 50 years from now. But I need to know how fleeting I am. And I take it. I put it on a note card. I put it on my dashboard, on my steering wheel, or in dry erase on my mirror. Or even you could take your phone and write a little... Uh, you put, put it on your home screen with a little alarm, whatever you need to do. I generally dissuade the phone. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, but the idea is that you would take one thing. I just found later in life, especially by later in life, I'm 42 years old, later than it was, um, that is helpful. To, like the, the most constructive moments of my life are often not like these light bulb, new concept moments. They're just taking one truth and chewing on it all day. Really good for my soul. Premeditated meditation. Okay? Memorize, chew, let it stay with you. Think on it. One thing. Second would be unpremeditated meditation. John Piper said one time that 95% of our lives is unpremeditated. Most of your life is unpremeditated. It's just stuff coming at you. All these voices, all these relationships, all these things, all these observations. Your senses are working supercomputer right here. And what you needed to do is, need to do is develop a web or a lens of scriptural truth. So the premeditated part would be over the course of your life, developing biblical literacy. But the way it works in action is, let's say it's a web, and you're, you're building that up with all this biblical truth, not conformed to the pattern of the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind and the flies of the skeeters, if you will, of your life come, come flying in and you catch them. So they don't just, the, the naturalistic secular worldview that says what you see is what you get Right, that, that your finances are the only thing that's going to save you in your life or carry you, but there's actually something invisible that, that uh, it says in Hebrews 13, 5. Um, do not, uh, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you catch it. That, 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 that thought of your financial instability, uncertainty, whatever's going to happen tomorrow is coming, you catch it with Hebrews 13, 5. All day. You look at people in the intersection and say, all these people, they live forever. Judgment's coming. How often are you conscious of the fact that people live forever? All the time. All the people never stop in existing. 
They either go to be with Jesus in bliss forever or they go to be in conscious torment forever. All the time. Right? How often do we think about the joys and pains of people's lives and sins and the fact that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? That's unpremeditated meditation. It is a battle, I confess. It is a battle. It is like taking your laundry out of the dryer without a laundry basket. And if you've ever tried to do this, you know what it's like. And you're like, I think I got it. And there goes a sock. And you go to lose the sock, and what happens? There's underwear over there. And you grab the sock, that falls, and it's just this constant battle. It's like, like putting your fingers on a leak in a dam. You know, it's like, but there's all these realities that it's helpful to fight for over the course of your day to be a mind awake in that reality. And you might say, well, what if I'm talking to a friend? Like, what if I'm, uh, what if I'm talking to uh, a good buddy at sitting over coffee? And I'm like, it feels kind of disingenuous or maybe overly vertical or just weird and unfriendly to be like, okay, God is real, God is real, God is real. What would you say? <laughs> right? But I, what I really believe is there is that the brain is able to rightly focus your attention on a person. So, yep, you, yeah, I, I, I'm hearing you, I'm listening to you, while, like, simultaneously, however this works, multiple computations, still remembering God is with us. Like, God is here. That person is an image bearer. That person lives forever. God has words for them, even while you're listening. And I'm not sure that you have to like, be like, hold on just a second. Give me a minute. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to pray for 15 seconds. Come back. Like, I, I think that's generally how we work, at least by saturating ourselves enough that that consciousness of all of God's reality grows. So I really do believe all day, even in the grace of the Lord, knowing that it's, it's a big leap from where, where we are. So here's the application for this application, because the whole thing's an application. Um, number one, a friend of mine told me recently, cut your screen time in half. Cut your screen time in half, just straight up. Uh, it is helpful for me to not have immediate distractions on hand. Whether it's taking an hour before you start your day and having your phone off, I try to practice that. Scripture before screens, I try to practice that. But cut your screen time in half. Take some time where you're not kind of numbingly distracted by puppies and your friend's family in pajamas and, you know, uh, a 15-second dance on TikTok or whatever it is. Uh, I, I, I say that as a phone addict, okay? But I think most people in the room probably are too, right? So call it a support group. Uh, second, put a card in your pocket. Like, take a phrase. It doesn't even have to be a whole verse. Just a, just a phrase, a good truth. Put it in your pocket or somewhere visible. I, I recommend that over your phone um, because... When you go to your phone, you're like, ooh, home screen, that is good. Teach me how fleeting I am. Ooh, puppies. Like, that, that's how it happens, right? Oh, I have an unread email. I have a notification. So I would, I would recommend the actual physical hard copy. Put a card in your pocket. Chew on it all day. Third, go outside and walk. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day pours forth speech. And there's just something really, I think, simplifying and purifying about walking the block. Go outside for a walk. Meditate on the goodness of God. And four, and this is really important, and it harkens back to what Chip said last week, uh, that disciplines are both individual and corporate. Speak to one another. Colossians 3, verse, six, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? Speaking to one another, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, songs. There are times when my old funhouse mirror of a mind needs somebody else to say something that's helpfully 
gospel-centered. Let the word of Christ, there he means the gospel message of Jesus Christ, dwell in you richly. Dwell in y'all. It's a plural. It should say y'all. If it was like the message for the South, it would say y'all. Richly. And those are the four. So I just want to finish by saying there is a comfort in our intimidation. You might be like, this sounds impossible. What did you just say to me? Uh, I want to say two things. One is, remember what I said at the beginning is the whole point of meditation ultimately is to get to that place where you understand all that God is for you in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. It's an invitation. And when you go a little while and you're like, oh yeah, this is rich, and then you go away and then you come back and then you lay on your pillow at night, remember, still the best day in the world for anybody who's righteous in the sight of their father. Best day in the world. God loves you. So he's As his child, he is bringing you to a place where you are developing as a meditator, not ultimately judging you according to your meditation. Not ultimately, okay? Secondly, and this is comfort for me, uh, Jesus says in John 16, verse 14, let me make sure I say it right. Uh, He says, where are we? Here. He, about the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, for he, that is the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then in Romans 5, it says that his love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. And really what that means is we're not starting from scratch. You already have the Holy Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to take what is Jesus's and declare it to you. His law has been written on your heart. So you're not just starting from this grit your, you know, grit your teeth, work as hard as you can to remember things. Like you're really, God is saying, be who you are. Be who you are. You already have the Spirit. You're already in union with Christ. So remember those things that are already poured into your heart. Remember those things that are yours. So take heart in that. It gives me great comfort to know it's not an unnatural thing. I'm tapping into a natural resource that is, or a supernatural resource that is in my heart from a loving Father who sent the Holy Spirit for me to declare the words of Jesus to me. Okay? So we can fight for meditation together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you um, for all of your promises that we can dwell on. Uh, I pray that in this congregation, both individually and corporately, that, that the word of Christ would dwell richly all day. That we would be people who say more consistently, I'm sorry that I'm not more consistent. I'm sorry that I forget you often, but I love that you are a forgiving father, a transforming father. And that you will bring us to a place, we know in glory and even before, incrementally bring us to a place where we say, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your gospel. It is my meditation all the day. I pray that you would make that clear and true in our hearts, even as we move into communion and worship now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My name's Josh. I'm the associate pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's message automatically. We invite you to join us as we grow in the gospel, connect in community, and live on mission. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.